man, we're, we're over a month into this new role for me as a lead pastor. And so I just kind of wanted to, to share my heart this morning. Just, I, am, I have been so encouraged over this last month by our church. We've had the chance, me and Jared, to visit with more than 20 small groups, a, a couple hundred people of you guys to sit down, to pray together, to, to hear your heart. And man, it's, a, it's amazing to me to be a part of a church body that loves the Lord in such a sacrificial way, that loves the Lord in such a, an, an obvious, an outward way. It is such a privilege to be the pastor here, to serve you guys. It's, it's been awesome. I really can't overstate how much me and Jarrah enjoyed the time that we've got to spend with each of you. And it's been really cool to sit down with numerous new families who are coming into our church. I know that you guys don't get to be a part of those conversations, and, and, but every, almost every week I'm having coffee with a new family that has moved into the area or, or uh, for whatever reason is, is coming to our church body. And to hear their stories and to get to, I guess, just hear what God is doing in their life to bring them to this point, to this moment, it's pretty incredible. And you, as new families, you are welcome here. I hope that you find in here the same type of church family, church body that I've found. It's awesome. In the last few weeks, I've got to sit down with people who are searching. They're trying to find God. They're searching. They have questions. They're earnestly seeking after God, trying to find an answer to those questions. Man, you guys don't get to see this, but God is on the move. God is working. In every corner of this world, God is working. And he's using you guys. I can't tell you how many conversations with new families started with, oh, well, so-and-so told me about your church. Or so-and-so posted on Facebook. So-and-so sent me an invite. Man, I, we want to be a place where people come to know God, right? Man, we have the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to be a place that come, where people come to know God. You are doing that. Continue. Continue to invite friends. Continue to invite family members. It's incredible what God is doing and will continue to do. Well, this morning we are continuing. This is week three of our By Faith series. It's out of Hebrews chapter 11. And over and over in Hebrews 11, you see this same phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And so uh, we have, so far, we've, we've gone over two different people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and the aspects of their faith. Number one was Noah. And with Noah, we were kind of coming up with a definition of faith. And we saw in Noah that he, in spite of what culture did, he believed that God was who he said he was. He believed in the creator God of the Bible. Noah did. Nobody else did. Noah did. So he placed his, his faith in a reliable place. The second thing about Noah was that he believed that God was going to do what he promised he would do. And we saw that happen. Last week, we talked about Abraham, didn't we? Abraham and Sarah, and we got to see their radical obedience, that faith in God was what preceded that, but once God came and once Abraham had that faith, then that faith resulted in obedience. And it was a challenge to me. I don't know if it was a challenge to you, but it was a challenge to me to look at my own obedience of what God is calling me to do, to look at my own 
perseverance because not only did Abraham and Sarah obey, they stayed in obedience in spite of the fact that some of the promises of God, they died not having received what would be promised. That's incredible. Today, we're looking at Moses. We're just continuing right along through Hebrews chapter 11, and today is Moses. But before we do that, I want to make sure we get our our definition. For those of you who have been here for three weeks now, you should have this written down. For those of you who are new, pull out your phones, pull out a notebook. We, We take notes because we worship in spirit and in truth, right? the truth of God's word. We take these notes, we, we go to our small groups, we discuss God's truth, how it applies to our lives. And our, comp, our, our definition of faith is, up on the screen behind me, it's, it's simply this, faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is and that he's gonna do all that he says that he'll do. Faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do all that he said That he will do. You're gonna hear that every week, every single week. Now, I don't know about you guys. Do we have any perfectionists in here? Do we have any people that struggle with that? You're just, you're even nervous to raise your hand because you're like, oh, I'm not there yet. But I I may, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I I actually worry about the things that I say up here that they'll that they'll come out wrong. Like if I stumble over my words, I'll think about those things. I think that sometimes perfectionism comes from inside of us, right? It's, I don't know if it's pride or if it's, uh, we didn't get enough praise as kids. I don't really know. But we, we think we have to have everything perfect. But I also think we live in a society that, that, I call it the Instagram society, right? It's the society that only shows the perfect angle. And I think that subconsciously this is snuck into our psyches as, as human beings, right? You, you can probably guess, but, but I watch over and over and over in public, and I think you see the same thing, people taking, taking pictures and just trying to get the perfect angle that excludes the, you know, the mess in the corner of their house and, and is just low enough that you can't see the water stain on their ceiling and just makes their life look perfect. Snapchat, I've never done Snapchat, all right? That tells you I'm kind of old, but Snapchat has filters that basically make you look like flawless human beings, right? I know that an interesting thing happened. I've been in, I was in student ministry for 15 years. An interesting thing happened during those 15 years of student ministry, which is somehow, and I don't know if it's the water or what, but somehow seniors in their senior pictures no longer have acne. It's wild. It's incredible. It didn't used to be like that. Well, of course, it's photoshopped, right? We, we literally photoshop the faces in our senior pictures rather than show a flaw in our culture. I, I think that one of my favorite things, and it's a reaction in our culture, and it might just be a little bit of cruelty in me, but I love a good celebrity mugshot. I do. I'm not gonna lie. It is so nice to to see these people that, that have stylists and, and thousand dollar wardrobes and, and makeup and the perfect hair who like to talk down at us mere mortals, you know? It's nice to see them looking like the 3 a.m. Walmart crowd sometimes. I'll never forget the Nick Nolte mugshot. I don't know if any of you know what I'm talking about. The Nick Nolte mugshot where his hair is just, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt 
Looks like he hasn't slept in days. Man, that's real. I take a little bit of perverse pleasure in, in seeing the real thing. I love these Instagram accounts that point out the Photoshopping that's happening in celebrity Instagram accounts. I love that stuff because our faith is real. Life is real. It's not perfect. It's not Photoshopped. And praise Jesus, I don't have to be perfect in order to come to him. Man, is anybody glad that you didn't have to get your stuff together before Christ would save you? Man, I'm so glad for that. Jesus wants to meet us at 3 a.m. at Walmart. Jesus wants to meet us with all of our flaws and our failures and our imperfections. I love how Pastor Travis used to say it. God doesn't expect you to take a bath before you come take a shower. Like we come to God to receive the cleansing. And I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't expect me to be perfect. But I will say, and this is part of what we're going to talk about today, in Hebrews 11, there sure is this perfect picture being painted. And so today, as we dive into the story of Moses, we'll, we'll come back to that idea. But for now, I want us to turn to chapter 11. We're going to just read this first verse found here in Hebrews 11, verse 23. Here's what we see. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, I don't want to assume that any of us here grow up in church or knowing exactly what's going on with church stuff. So here's, here's kind of a quick biblical history. Things that all of the, right, the readers of the original Hebrews would have understood. So God gave his promise to Abraham, right? We talked about that. Threefold promise, land, offspring, and a covenant blessing. Through his line, all men would be blessed. That's the Messiah would come from Abraham. Abraham had kids, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of sons, 12 sons, right? One of those is Joseph, who gets sold by his brothers down into slavery in Egypt. Eventually, the whole family ends up in Egypt uh, in, in the next few weeks, uh, Dylan's going to be preaching about Joseph and his story of faith. And then 400 years passes, and the people of Israel are still in Egypt. That's where we come to in Exodus 1. And so, in Exodus 1, there's this problem. The people of Israel, as God said they would, have been blessed. God has blessed them. And so they've multiplied to the point where the people of Egypt are kind of noticing, oh man, there's more of them than there are of us. And so they enslave the people of Israel, hoping that by enslaving them, putting them to work, to hard labor, that they will be able to sort of make sure they don't have as many kids. But that doesn't work. God blesses Israel. And so they continue to multiply. And so eventually Pharaoh goes to the uh, Hebrew midwives into the Hebrew uh, slaves, and he says to them, you're not allowed to have any more boys. Obviously, down the line, that's going to cause some population problems for the Hebrews, right? He says to the midwives, you must, if there's a boy born, throw that baby into the Nile. 
To all the Hebrew women, the same thing is true. But here in Hebrews 11, verse 23, we see, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So at first, we're not talking about the faith of Moses. We're actually talking about the faith of his parents. And the faith of us as parents impacts the generations that follow, doesn't it? We're all impacted by our families, by our parents, good or bad. But for Moses' parents and for those midwives, they, they practiced some civil disobedience. Civil disobedience. They decided that they would rather obey God, who says that life is sacred and valuable, than Pharaoh, who says that life is disposable. And so we see that in opposition to the governmental authorities, they decide that they're going to obey God instead, and they hide these children. Praise God for that. Praise God for people who are willing to stand up in the midst of cultural pressure. In fact, I would say that there are parallels to our own society. We are not a society that values life. I recently read an article about how uh, people with Down syndrome are almost eradicated in Europe as if that was a positive. That's genocide. Killing children who are made in the image of God and valuable just because they're different. We are not a society that values life. God says that life is made special human life. We, have, we are image bearers of our creator. All of us. Moses had no hope, by the way. This was a child to be born in slavery and poverty, to be worked to death at a young age. That's all that his parents could have hoped for him. And yet they said, who am I to take this life? I must obey God rather than others. We as a church must be a church that values life that supports life from the womb to the tomb, so to speak. Not just the unborn life, but the life of the teenage single mom who is desperate. Not just unborn life, but the life of, of the widow and the orphan, the, the grandmother who has no one, the addict. We as a church should be people who celebrate and point out the image of the creator in each and every human being. That's who we should be. Moses' family, his parents understood that. And because of that, Moses was able to live. The story continues in chapter 11, verse 24. We see that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Man, let me read that again. That's good, right? Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. That's the reward in heaven, the greater reward. So in Exodus 2, what we see is that Moses grows to, he, he's hidden for months by his family, but eventually he grows up to a place where they can no longer hide him. They, they send him down the river in a basket, praying and hoping that someone will, will save him and take care of him. God, in his sovereignty, saves Moses. He gets adopted into the, to the, uh, the household of Pharaoh. This is like a real little orphan Annie story here. 
right? He gets adopted by, by Jamie Foxx in the new Little Orphan Annie. And, and he's raised there, but he never loses touch with his Hebrew origins. God, God actually lets Moses be raised for the first few years by his own mother because uh, as sort of a, a wet nurse. And so Moses, when he turns around 40 years old, he kind of has one of these moments where he tells Pharaoh, I would, rather, I would rather be a slave and serve God than to be rich and serve you. That's a good feeling, right? Man, go Moses. So little orphan Annie with a plot twist, I guess, because he then leaves. But Moses leaves Pharaoh's household. He goes out. He sees some of his brothers being abused at the hands of these Egyptians, and he steps in and he kills one of them. He kills an Egyptian. He hides him. And then he freaks out and he runs away. Now, here's what you're not going to find. You're not going to find that story, that part of the story, the story about Moses killing a man and running away in Hebrews 11. And in fact, if, if you are students of the Bible, you might wonder, well, what about Noah? Week one, we talked about Noah. Well, the same chapter in Genesis 9 that Noah received the covenant promise from God, he got blackout drunk. Did you know that? Why, where's that in Hebrews 11? Abraham, man, Abraham, he, he had some crazy decisions. Abraham decided to tell everybody that his wife was his sister. Abraham decided to sleep with his wife's servant. Abraham made some massive mistakes, and Moses kills a man, and he runs away. So is, is Scripture untrustworthy? No, Scripture's not untrustworthy. All the people who are reading the book of Hebrews are Hebrews. They grew up knowing all this history. This is like a Hall of Fame speech. My favorite Cleveland Brown, Joe Thomas, just got uh, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I can promise you at his Hall of Fame induction, they're not going to talk about all his missed blocks or the times that he got injured or that he missed an assignment. This is a, a chapter meant to talk about the celebration. There's other places for the complicated stuff. Just read through Genesis and Exodus. It's all in there. But for now, what you need to understand is that Moses was a complicated person. He was a real person. And here's the major point of the day. The thing that I want you to see is that sincere faith, Moses had sincere faith in God, but sincere faith can sometimes waver. Sincere faith in God can sometimes waver. Moses went from the highest of highs Telling, telling Pharaoh that he would rather be a slave and serve God than to be rich and serve him. He went from the highest of highs in his faith to the lowest of lows. You know, sometimes we feel strong in our faith, don't we? Things are going good. We're reading scripture, we're serving, we're, we're, we are giving, we are being obedient. I'm feeling good, I'm feeling strong. I like to talk to high school kids do we have any people that went to a church camp ever in their life? Any church camp people? We got a lot, right? Man, I try to warn high school kids, after church camp, you're going to feel like your faith is, is, is up here, right? It's the highest it's ever been. But the same God during that week was the same God the week before and the week after. When our faith, our faith may feel like it grows stronger, but God doesn't ever grow stronger, 
Now, why is that important? Because when we talk about faith, we often think that we're talking about something within ourselves. But really, when we talk about faith correctly, we need to talk about and focus on the object of our faith. We need to understand who God is. And in your very strongest moments as a Christian, God did not grow any stronger. It's important to know and understand that. We have these seasons in our lives where, where things go good and when things go bad. And when, when we're in these good seasons, we're tempted to think that God is closer or that God is stronger, but he's not. God is unchangeable. God is strong. God is not like Tinkerbell. The more you clap and the more you believe, the stronger he gets. God is God is God. He's strong. And in your strongest moments... God is strong. But for Moses, he's not going through a strong moment. He's going through a weak one. Moses, he has this, this moment where he murders an Egyptian. He goes from this spiritual high to this low, and he takes off running. Scripture says that Moses goes to Midian. Now, I had no idea where Midian was. I thought it was maybe like 30 miles away or 50 miles away. No, Moses just started running and he did not stop running. He forest gumped it all the way. It's 700 miles is Midian, by the way. From Egypt to Midian, 700 miles. I like to think that like Forrest Gump, when he got there, he just was like, I'm tired now. It's like, that's, that's good enough. <laughs> I'm done running. And then Moses spends the next 40 years of his life in a desert. He meets a wife. God is good, right? Even when we run and we're weak, God is good. He meets a wife. He has kids. He probably has grandkids. And then God appears to him. He's had a lot of time to heal. 40 years is a lot of time to heal from that mistake, right? God appears to him in the desert in a burning bush. And he tells Moses, Moses, you are my chosen servant. I'm going to use you to fulfill the promise that I made to Abraham more than 400 years ago. I'm going to use you to lead the people of Israel to the promised land. That's got to be a good feeling. God tells him, man, Moses got to be thinking like, man, that's that's crazy. I can't believe that God would choose me for that. Me who has made all these mistakes. God is picking me. You would think that his faith would be strong. But here's what we read in Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Here's the, here's the conversation. After God has revealed his plan to Moses, here's what, here's what Moses says to the Lord. Oh, my Lord. I don't know how he said that, but I'm guessing it was like, oh, my Lord. I'm not eloquent. Not in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. Amen. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Isn't it I, the Lord? Ooh, that's good. Now, therefore go. I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what to speak. Moses has got to be, man, this is like a rousing speech right now, right? Moses has got to be getting pumped. No. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Moses' faith was, man, I thought it was bad in Egypt when he ran his way out of there, but his faith is, this is the low point for him. It's got to be. 
His faith is as weak as it has ever been. But here's the truth. Even though your faith may grow weaker, God doesn't ever grow weaker. Man, isn't that good? Even though my faith may grow weaker, God does not grow weaker. I, I was a, a fan of roller coasters when I was a kid, a big fan. We have, in my small group, we've got uh, my friends Chris and his son Tanner. They go, they've ridden like hundreds of roller coasters. It's wild. And I loved them when I was younger, but then I got on a roller coaster when I was 30. I don't like them anymore, like at all. I, I don't know what changed in me, but like, you know, I just kind of like felt like it was swaying a little bit too much. And I was worried about every noise on the way up. And I thought I saw a loose bolt, you know. And the truth, the, the truth, the good truth about all of this is like, even though I grew old and rickety, that doesn't mean the roller coaster did. And just because my faith grows weak, that doesn't mean that God does. God does not change. And so you may be strong or you may be weak. God is God. And the truth of the matter is you might be in a situation where you have found yourself saying, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. I can't tell that friend about Christ. I can't forgive that wrongdoing. I cannot do what you're asking me to do. God, please send someone else. But it's not our faith. It's the object of our faith that matters. It's the object of our faith that counts. At our weakest, God is strong. Amen? So Moses bounces back. God shows him some miracles. He goes all the way down to Egypt. For those of you who want to read through the book of Exodus, there's plagues and signs. We read about these just really briefly as we continue on to the end of our passage in Hebrews. We can see in verse 27, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover. He sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. That's the last plague before Pharaoh let the people of, Egypt, uh, the people of Israel go out of Egypt. And then by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Moses has gone down to Egypt. He's obeyed God ultimately, right? He's placed his faith in God. God, I trust you. Though his faith has wavered from strong to weak to strong to weak, he has obeyed. And now, as God promised he would, the people of Israel are on their way out of Egypt. They're running. Pharaoh has changed his mind, and now his army is in hot pursuit to come bring them back or to kill them. They run up against this impossible boundary, this Red Sea, and behind them they see a cloud of dust as the chariots are coming, and the people of Israel are terrified. And they cry out to God, and they cry out to Moses, Moses, what are you doing? Did you bring us out here just to die? And Moses bows down before God in Exodus chapter 14, and he prays a prayer. And God answers him. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17, And the Lord says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? 
tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel might go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get the glory over Pharaoh, all his host, his chariots, and all of his horsemen. God tells Moses to lift his hand over the Red Sea. God, as only God can do, parts the waters. We know this story, right? It was described. It's a, it's a children's story, but man, is it miraculous. And the people of Israel walk through on dry ground. And as they walk through, the people of Egypt decide, well, if they can go, we're going. We're going to take them back anyway. And God, as only God can, brings the people of Israel salvation. The sea crashes down onto the people of Egypt and the, and the promised children are on their way to the promised land. Ultimately, Here's what I want us to see and remember this morning. Sometimes your faith is going to feel strong. Sometimes you're going to feel weak. But ultimately, salvation belongs to the Lord. We get so caught up looking inward. We get so caught up thinking about my own flaws and insecurities and inadequacies I get caught thinking about all the things that I can't do. I can't do that, God. I can't do this. I don't, I, I'm not able to do that. And yet the truth of the matter is we need to take our eyes and look up because our salvation comes from the Lord. It's not about how much faith I can muster. It's about the God who can part the Red Sea. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who fulfills his promise, the God who is who he says he is and who will do all that he said that he will do. Moses was an imperfect man. You can see it. You see it after this moment, after the Red Sea is parted, Moses' life is marked by imperfection. His faith wavers time and time again. But the beautiful thing is, Moses' salvation doesn't depend on Moses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us that Jesus is both the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one who will start it in you, and he is the one that will finish it. Let me say that again. Jesus is the one who will start faith in you, and he is the one who will finish what he started in you. And so your faith, church, just be, be, just be aware of the fact that your faith will waver. You will have highs and you will have lows. You will have doubts, you will have questions. You will have fears and you will have failures. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He is the author and the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. You have nothing to be afraid about. I love this, I love this uh, quote by Nelson Mandela that says, courage is not the absence of fear. Have you ever heard that before? Courage isn't the absence of fear. And in the same way, I would tell you guys today that Faith is not the absence of doubt. 
Faith is not the absence of doubt, but instead it's the means by which we can overcome our doubts. I love this, this, this one verse in Exodus 14. It's just this one phrase. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Go forward. Go forward. Church, that's what I want to say to you today. I know some of you in here are seeking. You're not exactly sure what you believe about God. Some of you in here are brand new in your faith. You've, you're not sure uh, that you know all the answers. You're running into questions. Listen, whether you are strong or you are weak, go forward. Keep walking. Place your faith and your trust in God. Moses' faith, it wavered over and over and over again. But man, Jesus will finish what he has started in you. So church, if you are feeling strong, I want to tell you, run. Run in the strength of the Lord. But if you're feeling weak today, if your faith is weak, crawl, stumble, whatever you do, go forward. Jesus will finish what he has started in you. Christ will finish what he has started in you. Persevere and never, ever stop pursuing Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for pursuing us. God, through every season of our life, through every fear and failure, you have never stopped pursuing. God, I look at at, at Moses, the fact that he ran and he ran and he ran. 700 miles he ran. And yet, Jesus, you met him in that desert. You never, ever let him go. God, in the same truth that I see there in Moses' wavering faith, I see in my own life and I see in the life of these, this, this wonderful church that we get to pastor. God, a faith that sometimes wavers, but God, we come to you, the author and the finisher of that faith, trusting that you can do what only you can do. The salvation belongs to you. And we thank you for it. Now, church, with every head bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want us to spend a moment in reflection. I want us to think on our lives take an inventory silently, just you and God right now. Is, is your faith strong? Are you walking in obedience? Thank God for his strength. Maybe you're in a season of questioning and doubt. Maybe you're, you're in a place where you're weak and you're stumbling and you feel like you're barely moving. Thank God for his strength. Ask God for the help to take your eyes off of yourself and your own problems and your own failures and to put them on him. Ask him for faith to trust that he will finish what he has started in you. Maybe there's some of you in here who've been seeking for a while and you feel like, man, today, today I sense that like Moses in the desert, God is wanting to speak to me. I want you to know that there is a God who loves you, who has created you just the way that he intended to create you. But because of sin in our life, we are separated from that God. And because God is holy and just, that sin will result in judgment, eternal separation 
from God. But the good news is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Jesus came. He took the punishment that that I deserve for my sin. He took the punishment that you deserve for your sin on himself, on a cross, willingly. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He demonstrated that he was who he said he was. And yet they crucified him. Jesus willingly took his, our sins on himself so that we might have new life, so that we might be forgiven. And now he says that everyone who would call on his name, who would call out to him and ask for salvation, who would ask for forgiveness can be made new, can be born again, can have a new life. Not one that's a life of bondage to sin, but one of freedom and hope. A life abundant on this earth and a life eternally with Christ in heaven. If you have never talked to God and and surrendered your life and said, Jesus, I want what you are offering to me. I want the forgiveness of sins. Save me. Cry out to him now. God knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. Ask God in this moment, forgive me, save me, make me new. You don't have to have all the answers. It's the sincerity of our heart that counts. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your pursuit of us, God, in spite of all of our failures and all of our sins and our stumbling and our questions. We thank you that you are not a God too small to handle some questions. I pray that you will continue to strengthen the faith of this body, that we might obey you more fully in our lives. God, may we as a church be a place that demonstrates to the world a picture of who you are. May we preach the truth, Lord, not just with our words, but with our lives. We love you and we thank you for who you are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, church, today, if you made a decision, I want to encourage you. Don't leave before stopping out at the Connect Center, out at the coffee area. I'll be over there. I'd love to talk to you. If you're new, if you're new here, make sure that you stop out there as well. Uh, I want to hear your story. Shake your hand. But for now, would you stand? We're going to sing a song in worship to a God who deserves it this morning, right? Man, let's raise our voices this morning.